eventually they found a body yeah, a bit further down from the cave. She'd been injected what? with heroin, raped, strangled with a jungle vine, and the body just left out in this creek bed. And Whoa. then things got pretty intense. Guess who's back? Back, back, back again. Shady's back. Before we get started i just want to clear something up um i left i've been gone for four months uh and the reason was the pressure was just it was getting too much um the way i was feeling being come after by segura and kreischer it was scary it was frightening i would have his henchmen segura's henchmen they're all over they're all over these 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 ladies and men in high waisted pants with I don't know what kind of weapons in their pockets. Pay up, pay up! They'd all say, "I got bangs on my door, knocks on my door in the middle of the night." Hey, hey, Jew! That's what they call me, Jew. It's time to collect. I was in fear. I was in fear. I was hiding in my closet, hiding, shivering in my closet, like my grandfather did in 1933 Romania. You know, he has, he has, he has, ever since Tom got on Netflix, his, his tastes have gotten, how shall I say this nicely? Posh. I talked to Christina about it. You know what his midnight snack is when he wakes up in the middle of the night? This is what she told me. This is what Christina Przyzycki told me. He eats caviar as his midnight snack. He said, he said, uh, it, it's low in carbs and poor people can't afford it. I know he has trouble sleeping in hotels now because, uh, he, they don't have the, the, 3,500 thread count sheets that he's used to at home. 3,500. So when he won, when he won this bet, he was going to go to some crazy place. If Bert won, no big deal, you know? If Bert won, I, he would want to go to like a, a Fairfax High football game and buy everybody hot cocoa. But that's not what happened, unfortunately, for me. That's not what happened. So I had to leave. And I, couldn't, I, couldn't just, uh, I couldn't just disappear into, into America because... Um, Tom has operatives all over. He's a very popular guy. His operatives all over and I'd be found. So I had to leave the country. Did I miss anything while I was gone? Um, and I mean, I can't wait to catch up. I, I, I got this ticket to a Prince concert. I'm, I'm uh, going to see Charlie Murphy next week. I'm, I'm really excited to be home. But um, when I was gone, I, I had some soul searching to do. And I, and I first went to a, to a monastery in, in a Himalayans. I studied with a shaman for, for a long time, and I, I did a lot of ayahuasca and mushrooms. They have a special kind of mushroom up there. Helps you see your inside. And my shaman was like, look, look inside you and consider the bets you've made in your life. And I did. I did consider the bets. And I realized that I've never shirked on a bet in my life. Not once. I've paid off bets that have hurt me in ways that no one can even understand. I had to get a nipple pierced once because I thought Anderson Silva would beat Chris Weidman. I made a bet on that. One time, I don't even know what I lost this bet on. I had, to, I had to wear a diaper for 24 hours. Couldn't shit or piss anywhere except in the diaper. I, I, I was allowed one change of diaper. I had to walk around with shit and piss in a diaper. This wasn't when I was a kid. This was fucking six years ago. I, I lost a basketball game to an to a, to a, a Arab uh, uh, sleeper cell member, Nick Youssef. 
who's stationed here waiting for the waiting for the call uh, I didn't have a good breakfast that morning that's why I lost I, I, I uh, didn't realize the value of a good breakfast and so I so I lost to him barely I was up 10 7 and um, and as a result of that I had to wear I had to wear a sock that he came in he, he fucking jizz his terrorist jizz in there and I had to wear it all day long and I talked to my shaman about this, and he said, well, are you a shirker? And I was like, I'm not a shirker. And he goes, so what are you going to do now? And I go, oh, I'm not about to start shirking now. But the problem was I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough money to pay off Tom's extravagant tastes. I mean, do you know that he, he uses a new computer every month and just throws the old one out? So I, that's what I got to give a sporting event to, a guy like that. So I had to save up money, so I started working. I went to uh, North Korea, worked as an English teacher for a bit. It's a little bit weird there as an American, so I moved on from there. Um, went to South Africa, excuse me, Africa. I landed in South Africa. They went north, and I, uh, I volunteered as a Peace Corps volunteer. And then while everybody was working one day, I went through everybody's stuff and stole their belongings and any money they had, and I used that, about half that money, to get me uh, to South America, where I picked avocados. Um, I made my way up to Russia, worked on the Trans-Siberian Railroad, fixing the tracks. The whole time I had to give up drugs because I couldn't afford them anymore. All of my money had to go in paying off this debt, paying off this bet, treating Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer to a sporting event. And eventually I started making enough money, or almost enough. My memories started coming back from the lack of drugs. I can remember stuff from, from, from 20 years earlier. I remember full lines from The Simpsons from when I was a kid. I was picking uh, peppers for a while in... Uh, in Australia, on a pepper farm. And um, it just popped into my head. This thing uh, Chief Wiggum said to Homer once at a chili cook-off. When they were picking, when he was showing him a pepper, a really hot pepper. You know what pepper? The merciless pepper. The merciless chili pepper of Quetzalcoatlango. Grown deep in the jungle primeval by the, by the inmates of a Guatemalan insane asylum. Fucking full lines popping into my head after 20 years. And uh, eventually I got almost enough money and I, uh, I came home. I came home and that's where I am now. Back to an America that everyone seems happy with. <laughs> How are those peaceful protests working out for you guys? They're doing anything? Those peaceful protests? They're accomplishing anything? And now I'm back and I've almost got enough money and uh, I'm ready to start podcasting again. I'm ready to pay off my debt. Uh, before I do, I've got just a little bit more money to earn. So with that in mind, this episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post a job to find the best candidates? Posting a job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's easy to use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized business. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash skeptic. That's right. ZipRecruiter.com slash skeptic. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash skeptic. All right, now I've made enough. Let's start the episode. 
So come out of your cave, walking on your hands, and see the world hanging upside down. You can understand dependence when you know their maker's land. So make your sirens call and sing all you want. I will not hear what you have to say, 'cause I need freedom now and. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ari Shafir Skeptic Tank. I'm your host, Ari Shafir. On today's episode, um, I'm going to tell you about a man. There's a town, a uh, northern Thailand town called Sapong. It's it's uh, maybe two hours north of a. Uh, city of Pai, the hippie city of Pai, probably an hour and a half south of the Watamua Forest Monastery. It's all, uh, to get there, you'd have to go through Chiang Mai, the northern capital of Thailand. And um, in that town lives a man, a man named John Spies. And if you ask anybody in that town, they might not speak English, and most don't. Most people in Sapong do not speak English. You ask anybody, where's John? They'll point you to, uh, to the cave lodge. You don't have to say where's John. You just go John, and then like question mark with your with your with your you know hands. Give that little uh, mime out situation that you do in other countries. Uh, they'll point you there because everybody knows John. He built the town. It's his. Not really in like ownership, but in spirit. Uh, it, before he got there, there was nothing there. It was uh, it was a tiny village. Now it's a small. I mean, it's a bigger village. It's 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 a, it's a town. It's a town now. Um. And they'll point you to the cave lodge. The cave lodge is, is it's, it's my favorite place to stay in all of Thailand. Possibly, you know, I don't like to say favorite. So I'm not going to say all of Southeast Asia or all of the world. But I will say it's my favorite in Thailand. It's the only place in Thailand I would make a trip to go back to. Yeah, I mean, I would go back to some places. The, the Chiang Mai Jazz Company was cool if you're in Chiang Mai, but... Um, but that's the only place I would like, oh, if long as we're here, let's stop for a while and let me go to the cave lodge. Um, here's what happened. I just finished three months of backpacking through Myanmar. Um, and there's nothing there that's Western. I mean, barely anything. In the, in the, the old capital of Yangon, of Rangoon, um, there's, a, there's a Pizza Hut and there's a Swenson's. And that's it for the country. I wasn't in the south-south, but I, I got to imagine it's the same as all the way in the north. Uh, and center there's nothing western at all and so you get there and after a while you start getting used to it you start getting used to not having anything western around you occasionally you could find like a pack of oreos at a, at a rest stop on the, on the side of the road you know but that was about it and so i got used to like not having this western stuff there'd, there'd be people around there'd be westerners around westerlings as my friend called them um but nothing was set up for us so it was just sort of like free. And then after that, I went straight to Chiang Mai. And man, it was like this, it was like this overload. This, this overload of like Western culture and of a tourism culture. Everyone's trying to get over on you there. They're all yelling at you, you need a ride, you need a taxi. Massage, massage, massage. There's burrito places. There's burrito places. Burger Kings. 
that have sticky rice. <laughs> that was cool. They don't all have the same menu. It's like when you go to McDonald's or KFC in Canada and they have poutine. You're like, what? Um, yeah, they had poutine and pie. Awful, awful poutine. Don't go looking for it. It's not good. I, there were two places that had it. I went to both of them. Not worth it. Just shredded cheddar. Um, and so I couldn't handle it. It was, just, it was just like too much. I couldn't settle in. My, my introvert self was being pulled by, by these stimuli in all directions. And I just, I just wasn't enjoying it. I had been there before. I had been there two years earlier. And I just wasn't enjoying it because of this. Because it was so much different than what I was used to. I, sh- I should have maybe gone to like a halfway point. Gone to like a beach in Thailand and then made my way up. But man, Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai is way better than, than Bangkok in terms of like the Western stuff. It's not my kid, by the way. That's a fucking neighborhood kid. Shut it up. Shut the kid. Okay, she can probably hear me if I can hear him. Um, so I had to get out of there. So I went to Pi, and uh, and Pi was too much. It's 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 not what people uh, sell it as. They sell it as this weird hippie community where people are just there smoking pot in the streets, but it's been found out. So there's tons of people there too, and, and that was a little too much for me too. Maybe if I had a group, that would have been better, but I didn't. And then... Um, I couldn't couldn't quite settle in there. There's a bunch of Western stuff there. Falafel stands. Um, what are they trying to leave that kid in the fucking hallway crying? I mean, move it up or down. You think it's crying because it's been abandoned? <sighs> oh, the mom told it to shut up, and then it shut up. <laughs> fucking fake cry, motherfuckers. Um, and pie was that, you know. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really get the mushroom shakes that were there. Um, I did have a good time. This this little music festival, um, this little three dollar music festival. Um, but I couldn't quite settle in, and and then I decided I, I got a tip about the cave lodge, and so I took this bus. I met some forest rangers from Montana that had come all straight from Chiang Mai, who were also going there. They were on the bus. Um, and they take you to the city of Sapong, they let you off, and then you have to find some random taxi. And there's no taxi taxis. There's some guy saying, I'll be your taxi today. And he takes you. Um, it's either that or a moped, and you have all your stuff with you, so you can't do that, really. Um, they took you down this, this long road to Cave Lodge. You say, I'm going to Cave Lodge. He goes, yeah, I'll take you. 60,000, 60, I forget now. Um, bot. No, 60 bot. Not in thousands. And, um, and so they take you down this long road and it gets less and less less and less businesses and less and less people until it's almost deserted. And it completely is deserted. Then you're driving through the woods. And you're driving through the woods and then you come to the end of the road. And at the very end of the road, there's this place. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just kind of like a, a, a tree house on the ground. Just this wooden treehouse on, on, on the ground that was curved and went into like a like a drop off so it started on the ground then went off into on the stilts into the air and uh it was exactly what i was looking for it was exactly what i was looking for there was nobody there and man it was fucking glorious they had um they had a fire every night a giant fire pit i'll, I'll maybe i'll get into that at the end maybe i'll get into that at the end but uh, the Cave Lodge, what it exists in is uh, it exists around the tourism of Sepong, which, which John built himself. The tourism is around uh, a cave called the Lode Cave. Uh, we'll get into it. 
uh, and how he found it and stuff like that. And since then, uh, John's found a bunch of other caves. What you do is you go, you get there. He wasn't there when I got there. Uh, he was off taking care of his father or something. And, and so, um, but I met him a couple days in. Um, they have these sign-up sheets for these cave treks. And these cave treks, you need five people to go on them or they won't go. So what you end up getting is like four people to sign up for one, uh, three people to sign up for another. And there's all this jockeying. Like, come on, sign up for ours, sign up for ours. We can't go on it if you don't sign up for ours. You know, maybe one has four, one has nine. Like, come one of you guys drop off so we can go on this trip. And he has these uh, local Thai um, scouts, guides that'll take you on these cave treks. And these, tr- these caves are undiscovered. I mean, he's the only one that knows about them. He made these maps, but these maps are not drawn to scale. To find them is difficult on the maps he's drawn out. And you go to, down to, uh, you take a, 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 a truck um, to give you these waterproof bags and a lunch. And you go on these trucks and they take you to, uh, to a place where it lets off. They say, okay, everybody gets off here. And they park the truck on the side of like, they, you know, down a dirt road. It's got a regular road, then dirt road, and then stop. And then everybody gets out and you hike for about an hour. And then you come to this, to this cave, this hidden cave in the woods. And you're like, what? And then you just start going down. They give you a little uh, helmet flashlight and you start walking. And it gets darker and darker and darker until there's no one there. There's no light at all. And then you start going through water. And at first, it just goes up to your ankles. And by the end, it's up to your chest. I went in dry season. In wet season, you have to swim through it. Up current sometimes. Um, and man, the only way you can see is with those, with those helmet cams. And... I mean, we were down there for six hours. You have lunch down there. Bats everywhere. There's bats everywhere. You look up sometimes with your helmet flashlight, and, uh, and you're like, well, there's thousands of them. And they don't hit you. They, they go right by your face. Sometimes they go right in front of your face. So it's like, oh, but they don't, they don't hit you. They don't hit you. And uh, do I have this in the right setting? Yes, I do. And, um, and you just walk and walk, and you see these crazy stalactites, and you see stuff that has been untouched by man. You see these these insects that are just so unique and weird. And what the fuck are they doing down there? What do they eat? And you're soaking wet and it's cold and then it's hot and then it's really cold and it's so much fun. And you don't pass. So you have a group of, let's say between five and I think we had maybe, I went twice, I went to two different treks. And if you go on two treks, you get a free t-shirt, you get a free cave lodge t-shirt. And I did. Um, uh, the treks cost money to go on because they had to hire the guide and the food and all that stuff. And um, you go for six hours and you don't pass anyone. I'm not saying not a lot of people or we caught a random day. I mean, there's no one down there. No one knows about these caves except John and his guides. You don't pass a soul. So you talk, you wade through water. And at the very end of the cave, this one cave, we all agreed, let's just shut our light off. Let's see how we feel with the light off. And it's, it's the blackest black I've ever seen in my life. There's no, there's nothing. There's nothing. You put your hand in front of your face and it doesn't register at all. You start to imagine that you're seeing something and you're not. You start saying like, I think I can see my hand. And then someone else have their, their hand in front of your face. And you're like, and it'll touch them with your nose. Like, and you're like, what the fuck? 
and you didn't see it at all. One of the times we did it, some guy got scared, really frightened. After about 20 seconds, he turned his light back on. And we're like, no, no, shut the light off. Let's see how it feels. And then we shut it off. 10 seconds later, turn it right back on. And we're like, oh, you're frightened. It's discombobulating. You, I mean, you don't even know what's up and down. I heard a story. Did he tell me on this, on this podcast? No, I don't think he did. So I'm going to say it. I heard a story. No, nope, you know what? I'll save it for the end just in case. Save it for the end. I'll write it down right now. Um, man who got lost. Got stuck. And it's great. And it's an amazing cave lodge. It's an amazing place. And, and, and they, have, uh, they have this fire pit in the middle. So when you come back and you, you dry off, you take a warm shower. Warm showers between the hours of 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. You take a warm shower. And, um, and everyone sits around this, this fire, this fire pit. And if you don't know anybody, if there's other groups there, you get to the first day and you feel like an outsider... Well, it just brings everybody in to this fire pit. And you sit, sit next to it, maybe on your own, not nearby anybody, because it's pretty fucking big. And I'm looking at my apartment now, and it's, let's say, let's say 15 feet across, and the, and the fire's in the middle. Is that right? Six, 12. Yeah, yeah. And you can sit all around it, and it just draws everyone in. And then you hear them talking, and eventually you're talking too. It's, it's the most social, introverted social experience i had at any place i went to on this trip i was more social in other places overall over time but this was just like it was fucking great man it was fucking great see honestly it's the only place i would go back to that i'm like i gotta get there again i will go back there again and john lives there he's built a life there he's an australian guy um he'll tell you how he got there he'll tell you um how he discovered all these all these caves and, and, and about life there in Sapong and and life as a caveman. A um, couple things to announce. Uh, I am back. I'm not going to be on the road much this year, and that means pretty much zero. Um, this, this is not happening. Storyteller show May 27th at the Bell House in New York. No lineup yet. Get tickets. Twenty bucks. Uh, we are taping a new season of This is Not Happening, June 4th through the 22nd. Is that right? So the, the filming dates for the shows, I'm getting this right because I'm going to give out tickets if you want, June 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, so the Sunday through Thursday, and then June 18th through the 22nd, that's Sunday through Thursday. Early show and late show, probably every night. I think so. I think every night, with the possible exception of, of the first night. Fuck, I wish I knew. Anyway, if you want tickets to any day, um, email me. The, 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 the links they use don't work the best and just people have problems with it I won't want to get into it so I'm just going to put you guys on the guest list myself um, first on email me contact at ariushafir.com tell me which show you want to go to 4, 5, 6, 7, or 8 or 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 you can do one per week if you want uh, and tell me if you want to go to the early show which is probably like 7.30 or the late show which is like 9.30 um, how many people Tell me the people that you actually want to come with, not just like random people. What's up, Squirrel? Um, I put you on the list. Tell you what, if you want to go to two shows a week, you can. I'll get you on there for free. Ugh, the lineup this year, should I just announce it now? We got some good people. Jim Brewer's coming back. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. So's the fucking newly non obese people, Tom Segura and Burke Kreischer. And can I just say this for a second? 
congratulations, Tom Segura and Burke Kreischer. Congratulations on not being obese. It, it's a great job. But Tom was 5'11.8. He was not six feet tall. I was not out of line to ask for a measurement. Because at 5'11.85, 219, 119. He was one pound under obese. One pound. 5'11.8. I asked for a measurement. No apology. I didn't hear a single apology. Oh, yeah, you were right to ask for one. I guess he must have shrunk, huh, Joe Rogan? I guess he must have shrunk like my dad from 6'1 to 5'11.8. One pound under obese. And he did it, and he did it. And congratulations. And I'm happy for them both. I am. Because now, Bert and Tom, you're both going to live past 50. And you weren't, too, you weren't going to before. You weren't going to before. Obese people don't live that long. So congratulations. Yeah, one pound. Oh, I'm a fucking shirker to ask for a measurement at one pound. Where's my goddamn? I want a written apology and, and I want a written apology and a blog on MySpace. That's what I want. One pound. But they did it. And congratulations to both you guys. Because it's hard. It's hard to lose weight. Not so much for me and Bert. I used to be obese too. I was two, 225 once. And uh, no, 245. 245? Yeah, 245. And, um, and it's hard you know, to lose weight. But for people over six feet like me and Bert, it's a lot harder. But for people, for an under six footer like Tom, it's way more difficult. So congratulations to both of you guys for losing the weight. Um, so if you guys want tickets for that, uh, this is not happening to see any of them. I don't know who's coming on when. But come. All the shows are going to be good. All the shows are going to be good. Kathleen Madigan. Um, who else? Old favorites. Uh, Metzger. Big J. Of course, Joey Diaz. Let's not get into it. Let's just start the episode. Right? Shall we? We shall. Ladies and gentlemen, Ari Shafir Skeptic Tank, episode 290. Caveman with John Spies. Oh, and I'm going to put a bunch of pictures up of the caves on the website, arithegreat.com. You can go there for, generally, usually for all tour dates, but since there's not many tour dates except the Bell House, uh, I'll probably do another. This is not happening in, uh, in, uh, in July. Probably one a month. So, you know, check on there. Also, I always list the music there. If you ever wanted to see what music I use, it's always listed there with links. To try to, if I almost always can find it, to a YouTube video of that. Um, so if you ever had a question like, who's that band? Go to the website, arithegreat.com. You'll see it there. Um, with extra details like these pictures. You got to see these pictures, you guys. These caves are fucking gorgeous. They're gorgeous. So let's start. Ladies and gentlemen, Ari Shafir Skeptic Tank, episode 290, Caveman with John Spies. Starts now. It's good to be home. The old time cave dweller lived in a cave. This is what he did when he wanted to rave. He took a stick and he drew on the wall. Man out of her to have himself a ball. Rock with a caveman. Roll with a caveman. Shake with the caveman Baby, make with the caveman Oh boy, break with the caveman Style tight, style might I hold your baby very tight Yeah, yeah, yeah Okay, yeah, well, you know, like it wasn't that long ago that it's yeah, favorite, the, just bring this a little closer yeah the only the only source of light really was either burning pine wood the lower yeah. part of the pine tree and cut it out when it's still green it's full of sap and you just tie it into a bundle and light that that was the traditional light up here for a well, and then you just bring extra packs to light as one goes out uh, you you sort of try and keep it going. Hopefully, there's a few of you with a few lights. So, yeah. You know, one goes out, but it burns pretty well. If and bamboo is a little bit more sus in that it might go out, and if you're deep inside a cave, you're sort of screwed. But yeah, with, with a pine wood 
good bright light. That's what we first used when we first came to Tumlot. Really? Yeah, to the yeah, I was going to ask, yeah. like 30 years ago, they didn't have those torches that you just hand out. They, they had Chinese flashlights, which were pretty useless, and the pine wood, which lit, lit up the whole scene. It would. And, yeah, it worked well. And so, that's, so yeah, the prehistorics, you know, when, you, when you've got a burning piece of wood, you don't go too far inside a cave, particularly a wet one. Because, you know, if... They fall in a river or something, and you know you're not going to get out because. Wonder, wonder what would bring them there anyway? Is it running away from predators, or is it like trying to find food? Uh, for for in, in for instance, in Tom Lot, it was a great food source. They had the the birds, the bats, which they could catch with some sort of net, or just throwing rocks from the roof, or bits of trying to kill them. Yeah, just you, you'd probably just chop a, a big branch of bamboo and throw it off the off the, the outside of the cave down onto the birds as they're flying in and I'm sure you'll catch one. one that yeah. way, you know? it, was, it was easy and the, there was fish in there because the fish lived on on the guano and we saw a, a bamboo spear left in there yeah yeah well they weren't no the fish now are protected in the cave oh really for a, someone's not listening <laughs> No, they, there's there's a big fine. It's like five thousand baht per fish. Oh, really? Yeah, for, not worth uh, it. No, no. Just go to but, the store. So, but but the nice thing about this whole fish protection thing in the cave is that they get the tourists to feed them. They sell fish food to the tourists, and they they feed them all throughout the dry season. Then in the wet season, when the river goes into flood, the fish think it's safe to leave the cave. The water's all murky, so they swim outside the cave. And little little do they know that all the locals have got modern fishing rods out here. <laughs> <laughs> and all, all the things that fish like to eat. Shit's and changed. Sort of, yeah, yeah. So they, they have a... It's a real free-for-all yeah, going for all these big fish that live in the cave. It's I'd say a, those extroverted fish are the first ones that get eaten. Because yeah. like, hey, what's out here? This is cool. Because <laughs> before they preserved, protected the fish in the cave, the, the river was basically fished out. And so now, you know, for six months of the oh, really? year, a few months of the year, they got some really good fishing happening so around The fish here. come from, like... So where, where the river feeds into the cave... Yeah. The fish come from in there. I saw one, and I was like, "How would it get in here through the rocks?" Uh, the the fish originally come up from the Salween River, and and they lay their eggs up here. But these these they're, they're carp, they're native carp native yeah. to this area. And there's but in some of the caves, we have some really amazing fish. They're um, cave adapted fish that have lost their eyes. Yeah, some have just lost their sight with skin coming over, and the eyeballs still there under the skin. But there's another. There's two two different genus in our in our um, region, and one of them is is a it's a new genus, new species, the whole thing, brand new sort of little critter. And this this thing's beautiful. It's about the size of your little finger, mm-hmm. and it walks up waterfalls. So it's, it has no eyes, it has this wedge-shaped head, and it uses its fins like feet, a bit like a gecko can walk up a wall. So these things sort of waddle up these waterfalls, and just they're in two caves in Damn. our district and nowhere else in the world. Really? Yeah. Who discovered them? Um... I did actually. Well, actually, the first one I was with, I was with some cavers, some caver friends, and um, it was Kerry. He was the first one at this big waterfall inside this this cave that's got very high carbon dioxide content. You're sort of gasping for breath in there, and he saw this thing waddling up the waterfall. And he had no collection <laughs> container, so he popped it in his mouth. And then, you know, like ten minutes later or whatever, he's back at the camp with us, and he, he had a bottle of alcohol or something and put it in. And we sent this off to, you know, the world cave fish expert in Switzerland, and he said, "Wow, it's a new genus and all this sort of stuff." And then, in the other cave where they live, I, I found them. I was with actually a Thai TV crew, and I was looking on this waterfall, and amazing that there they are, the same the same fish in a totally unconnected cave. 
So there's been a lot of study on these things. Uh, BBC Planet Earth did a segment on them. If you've seen the Planet Earth caving series. Okay, I haven't seen the caving one. I've seen some of the other ones. It's awesome. Check it out. And so they lost their eyes through adaption? True. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It takes... It takes you know, maybe 50,000 years or something to completely lose your eyes as, as okay. a cave fish. But they're, because they're, you know, your eyes are connected to your brain. So if there's any damage there, you know, you can easily die out sort of thing. So the fish that did develop this skin over the eye then eventually lose the eyeball because it was useless. They're living in the dark. Yeah. And, you know, it helped them develop other senses or whatever to find food in there. Yeah. But they're, they're small because the food is, you know microbial type stuff things that grow on the rocks and they just oh they don't even need it probably just feel it out here's a rock they 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 seem to be chewing on something that's growing on the rocks in there not sure what it is yeah there's not much all the insects and the critters we saw in there i'm like what's your food source the bats they eat the bats no it's it's usually from the guano so things that grow on the guano because inside the cave itself there's no real food everything is coming from outside yeah whether it's coming in with the stream or the bats are bringing it in through the air Ooh, okay and in tumlot our local cave here we've got the birds as well we've got hundreds of thousands of birds in there and they're, they're also cave adapted those swifts have they, they have this echolocation, so they're sending out these sort of sonar signals that's bouncing like off the, the cave walls like bats. But, wow. but the frequency is a bit lower, so it's not so accurate. So they do occasionally hit each other or <laughs> hit the wall or something. But, but they're, they're amazing. I mean, they're a, they're a cave-adapted bird. And, and those little guys, they, they sleep up in the ceiling of the cave in, in little nests or just cling to the stalactites. And they, when they leave in the morning, they fly all day. They don't land. Really? Yeah. Did you ever see a bird fly into a mirror? I've seen it fly into, yeah, the glass. The glass it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't see anything. I mean, it's just like a human walking through a screen door. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 <laughs> see, they see the reflection. They think they just keep, keep going. Yeah, and they try to dodge it for a second. Like, why is that bird? They, they move right, and like, that bird's moving right, too. And they yeah, move yeah. left, and eventually yeah, they exactly. smash into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They, they're trying to avoid hitting hit yeah. themselves. <laughs> yeah. uh, How did you get here, man? Uh, well... I left Australia in 1976, which is a really long time ago. Yeah. 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 I was on this 86, overland 86, 16, trip. Yeah. Back then, you know, Aussies were sort of just starting to do the overland trip to Europe, which is you know, up through Southeast Asia and through Afghanistan and all the rest and make your way to Europe. And so that was the plan. I was, I was going to travel around the world for a couple of years, end up in Tierra del Fuego or somewhere, but I'm still on my way. <laughs> were you already into caving and stuff before that um, by the way can I just say this first nobody vacations like Australians <laughs> whenever I'm on stage you ask about an Australian like how long you gone for like a few months it's always a few months it's never like one week in America <laughs> always just gone hey Americans I don't know who you voted for but you only get like what two weeks holiday a year two or weeks, something and then two weeks sick so you have to oh. pretend you're sick for some of that uh, you, over you, that. you need a political party that promises you know four weeks or six weeks holiday and uh, for <laughs> sure I would vote for that I would vote yeah. for that for time off no, no no other policies just that one yeah yeah. <laughs> if I was president the first thing I would do that'd be good that'd be the second thing first thing I'd do is guys we're doing the metric system fuck you stop denying it per metric from now on it's four years before it changes yeah yeah and yeah. then maybe like let's increase our vacation time yeah 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 definitely yeah that's definitely. how you become I mean, a man of the people it's like 52 weeks in a year you get what two two yeah what doesn't even make sense I mean, what, what, what's life for yeah <laughs> yeah that's I mean, a lot of people out here that they're like Germany, where they're like they have the six-hour workdays instead of the eight-hour workdays. Yeah, it's really more about like en- working for enjoyment of life rather than like right. that being the enjoyment. Yeah, just getting the paycheck to pay off yeah. the bills and stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, anyway, I was, so, yeah, I was on this, this overland trip <clears throat> to, uh, to Europe, and I, I was young. I was 21 or whatever, so it's pretty easy to get lost when you've got no plans. As, you know, John Lennon and all those famous people said, you know, life is what happens when you're, <laughs> when you're busy making, or I don't know, whatever it was, with no plans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's what happened. And, and yeah, I, I met a, a local lady, and we did trekking together but taking tourists to hill tribe villages yeah. for seven years and that was that was actually probably one of the highlights of my life it was a really good Doing time checking. to do it oh yeah did you start was, hooking up with her um well i'm I, I just sort of met her on my first or second day in chiang mai and she was a, a female trekking guide she was the first one in chiang mai yeah and and she was working with a company that was taking people to this you know the, the one and only tourist route up north of Chiang Mai and I said well let's just branch out and go and find somewhere different and we did and we did that for seven years had a fantastic time so nothing was explored back then huh it was we were I was I often the tourists. first westerner to visit those hill tribe villages it was you know people little old ladies sort of picking at the hairs on your arms and looking into your eyes and you know, guys checking out your boots and this and that. It was quite extraordinary. You know, we'd ask them. You know, the day ghost walks. So they're sort of like, yeah, they've never seen a Westerner before. There was one time, actually, we went to um, southern China in the, in the early 80s and in this restricted area. We ended up getting arrested down by the border for walking in, you know, without permission in, in a sort of hill tribe area. But the the people there were asking we, we could talk the language they spoke a Thai language down there right near the, the um, Burmese border and they, they thought I was her father really? yeah because, what? because, because I had sort of white hair yeah. so I was an old guy uh, every, every, all young people had black hair. Yeah. You don't get this colour hair until, you know, blondish hair until you get really old. So, so they yeah, going, but the skin is so no, different. I was 20-something. You know, is this your father? <laughs> well, it, was, it was a good laugh anyway. But, yeah. So, yeah, we did that for seven years. And then after after that, thought, oh, let's start a family maybe. Yeah. We had nowhere to live. And so... Back then, hill tribe people would, were just sort of moving around all over the hills. Let's set up a village here or there. First in gets a block of land. So we thought, why don't we try that? So what do you mean? Just come and grab a squat and just come and grab a piece of land out in the, in the village out here. Was it that uninhabited enough where you could just be like, nobody's using this? Can I use it? Yeah, it was. Really? Yeah, it was. It was a very small village back then. That, and we knew the cave was one day going to be a major tourist attraction. Wait, who found the cave already? You had already seen the cave at this point? Yeah, yeah. Well, when we were trekking, we used to stay in this village. So we knew the people. We knew, we knew the caves. I knew lots of caves around by then. Because we used to do 10-day treks out here. No roads, just walking through the bush on small paths and and staying in people's houses yeah so yeah that we we thought this was a fantastic place to live to start a guest house that was very unknown back then there was no visitors to the cave and which cave we're we talking about load lot tum lot yeah tum lot which is that's just, not load cave yeah lot cave okay lot, okay yeah. okay it's just downstream from our place yeah. That was the first one to get kind of known. That was the the one that, well, we decided to live here. One, because we really loved the area. We knew lots of people around here. We'd lived with Lahu people up on the border yeah. back in 79. So in, it was in 84 when we, we moved here. Damn. And, and Tumlot, yeah, there was no tourists then. There's, there were still the days of burning pine wood. And so we, we set up the lodge and somehow attracted a few backpackers in and 
back then, you know, there was no internet. There was yeah. How'd you get? Like, how'd you get anybody to know about this place? It was uh, word of mouth. It was all grapevine stuff. You know, that's how I found about it. Yeah, word of mouth. Yeah, back yeah, a lot Somebody of people. Somebody stayed did. here a couple of years ago, yeah, and they're like, yeah, back, I think I know your style. Sort of, you know, we're talking to each other. And back then, they they called themselves travelers. Huh? There, uh-huh. there was there was tourists who sort of you know went on packages and stayed in nice hotels, and then there was the travelers who were you know the basically your backpackers of today. Yeah, live in a monastery, <laughs> and, live wherever you can. It was a bit of an ego trip, you know, back then. It was all like, <laughs> hey, man, they'd, they'd sit around a fire or something and talk to each other. And, oh, I found this fantastic new little town. And, you know, I was the first Westerner there. And I, it was it was exploration. People were, the, there was very little information. That in must have been cool times, man. Was, that must have been cool. The world's now saturated with information, whether it's on the internet or guidebooks or this or that. And there's these beaten paths through all these countries. And you know, people come to Thailand these days and there's, they, they think there's nothing left to explore. Mm-hmm. It's all been done. It's not true. I mean, you, 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 it doesn't take much to get off to go to somewhere where virtually no foreigners have, ever visit. All you've got to do really is know the words for sleep. <laughs> like where can I sleep and, oh, and food your hands yeah exactly I did that <laughs> we were in Myanmar did that in some like restricted area we, nobody told us you can't go there yeah yeah and uh, we started giving the sign for sleep and they like mm. all stared at us and pointed to like a a hotel <laughs> yeah when we got there they were just like would not check us in yeah yeah we had to get a translator on the phone from somewhere and they're like she was like no you can't you're not allowed here That's foreigners true. aren't That's allowed true. here yeah yeah we had to like Myanmar's. fill out forms to like take it to the minister of the town to like get an exception oh really yeah, yeah and they, they let you stay yeah but I like that just miming out sleep yeah yeah, yeah. sure <laughs> yeah yeah well Sure, I mean, it, it, uh, oh, I played, I played like, but we already came from the south. I can't go back. <laughs> I played like, you know, like such like a poor little. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They were like, one day, then get out. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, that must have been cool times to be a traveler. It it, it was. It was. It's also with the hill tribes back then, that was so traditional. It's yeah. it's like all for the previous three thousand years or whatever. There was very little change. And it's all happened in the last 30, 40 years when there's, you know, it's been more changes in 30 years than there has been in the previous 3,000. Yeah. So back then there was, there was no roads. People were wearing their traditional clothes, doing their traditional lifestyle. You know, the head man was some old guy, you know, the spirit doctors were sort of up and active and it was, it was, it was fantastic to be able to catch that last little bit of traditional life yeah. which is disappearing all over the world all over. My minority people these days you know they've been suffocated by the majority they they oh, you know, you know, like, like here all hill tribe kids now go to um go through the thai education system you know and they're forced and, and schools are a culture killer for for, for minorities mm. you know, when, once you start putting a whole generation of kids speaking you know the majority language like in thailand is thai and they start losing their own language. Also, um, schools make you lazy. You know, to become a traditional slash and burn rice farmer up in the hills here, you've got to do that since you're very young. You know, if you if you come out of school after 16, and say you know, and your parents want you to go and help grow the tr- subsistence rice up in the hills, you can't be fucked. You go, come like on, how? Man. <laughs> it's like, how? Yeah, it's, it's too hard. I can conjugate yeah. a sentence. <laughs> like yeah. that doesn't help us yeah, here. They'd rather go and get a job than buy the rice. Oh so, yeah. So it's you know. I, more than anything, I think the schools are the ones that really hasten cultural change huh. and and sort of break down communities in a way. Because you know these days, some of the young kids they they can't find work back here. They, they're not going to go out and you know slave their guts out for a you know bowl of rice on the table every day. And they, so they 
they, they can't even stay in the villages. So lots of villages are becoming like old people and, and the grandkids that the kids yeah. have dumped with them as they're really? off working somewhere. And then why, once you, once you like, uh, start getting jobs, now you're relying on other people for your living instead of just doing it for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a huge change. And that's, that's the way it's become. Fortunately, in our village, yeah. because the cave has became a popular tourist attraction and every, every house is involved, there, there is work here. It's good work here. They can make more money here or live a lot better off than they can in the town. So that's the industry here? Is, yeah, is it's loads. tourism. It's tourism. Right. And they've done extremely well. I mean, they're the envy of all other villages in our district. There's, there's people build nice houses here and, you know, they've, they've got lots of spare time they own it's a weird natural resource yeah. it's a very strange natural resource because yeah, there's nothing yeah. really there to mine yeah yeah except like the experience it's well it's yeah it's like a, any sort of tourist attraction or a natural tourist attraction you know and, and it's great that the community can can make a living out of it you know mm-hmm. they, they work as the guides and have the bamboo rafts in the cave it was years ago there was a couple of old guys come up we started getting this lantern guide thing together with with the villagers and and a couple of old guys said well is there any way we can make some more money out of the cave and i said make a bamboo raft <laughs> and, and, and now there's like 140 bamboo rafts clogging the cave down bouncing there. off each other yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's so but they they did really well out of that yeah but unfortunately two two or three years ago the big bamboo around here it's some of the biggest bamboo in the world it's sort of thicker than a big guy's thigh sort of thing mm. which is what they're making the rafts out of it went into flower now different species of bamboo maybe 15 years 30 years 60 years or whatever they'll suddenly the entire species will go into flower what does that mean it, it means it dies really <laughs> yeah it flowers then dies so uh-huh. all the big bamboo in our district a couple of years ago died and so now that this year they're using the last little bits of the dried stuff they can still salvage and a couple of different other species but it's been really tough so in the next few years they're not sure what they're going to make their rafts out of because after it flowers it does it sprouts again but it takes many years to get back to the full size again what are they going to use like plastic shape like bamboo shapes maybe yeah color it like a bamboo yeah they, they they could then they're not really sure tell you the truth they're it's a bit of a dilemma but They'll, they'll figure it out. It's a wonder plant. Mm. Those bamboo. Oh, bamboo. It's hollow and strong as fuck. Yeah, yeah, All the bridges yeah. are made out of that. And yeah. It's just like, how is this thing up? It's so long. Oh, this, you know, the, the list of things you can do with bamboo, there's, yeah. there's thousands of things. And, but then and I saw, um, oh, I forget his name, not Ong, but the other the, the guide. guide helper. And yeah. he saw a piece, and he, yeah. I saw him chop it down with his machete real fast, real easy, like oh, light yeah. enough to chop yeah, it. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that is an interesting thing. In prehistoric times, uh, the people around here, they made their stone tools from river stones. Yeah. And so they'd just get one stone and just bash around the side of it. They'd, they'd get a you know, nice hard stone like basalt or quartzite, and they get a sharp edge on it. Then they probably halfed it because all, all, oh, yeah. all, all they really needed was anything that could chop bamboo. So their technology yeah. developed on bamboo, not on stone. It wasn't like, you know, all those poor people like the Native Americans who had to develop all these Stone different heads. little arrow heads and sharp little bits and this and that. These guys didn't need that. With, as soon as you could chop a piece of bamboo and split it, you can do absolutely anything. So you, sharp. Yeah, you've got your water containers. You can make, you know, you can get a bit of dry bamboo and just split it open and that's a super sharp knife. You can cut open meat with it. You can, you can hunt with it. You can... 
uh, built homes. It has that, you know, flexible property so you can make traps and, and bows and arrows, you know, that sort of stuff with it. It's super straight and oh, it's yeah. just an amazing material. Yeah. You know, eat it, you know, eat the bamboo shoots. You cook inside it, a piece of green bamboo, you can boil water, stew, vet, you know, bamboo shoots. Oh, the bamboo chicken's so yeah. good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get here 30 years ago. You're just like, hey, do you mind if I just pull up, sh- like, yeah, we, put down we roots here? Sort of with my girlfriend, we we just we knew the locals. We talked to the headman, talked to a few of the old people, and said, hey, is it okay if we just grab this little bit of land here and put a fence around it? And so, what are you going to do? You know, and yeah. and, and um, one old guy says, oh, you're they're probably missionaries or something going to try and convert us all to Christianity. I said, no way, man. <laughs> you don't seem very religious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can kick us out. You can do whatever, you know. If anyone becomes a Christian, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, no, please kick them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay. You're safe. As you know, they're all they're pretty devout Buddhists in our village. So, so um, yeah, they said, okay. So, we, we did it and we... I actually bought a an old Land Rover. I had a had a good friend, um, really? Paco Grande, who was who is was, a blind photographer. He had tunnel vision. He had like he could see like three percent, oh. and so he'd, he'd take photographs on a wide angle lens, and then he could look later at the photographs of, of the scene. Yeah. He could really have a scan the whole scene and see it all. So, but he, he was taking black and white um, wide angle lens photos. Great stuff. We took him trekking on ten day treks a few times. It was a it was a bit like he'd follow the put his hand the, on your shoulder. The, yeah, the, yeah, that sort of thing, or white shoes in front of him. We took him trekking in Nepal once. It's like, really? Yeah, for a Helambu trek. It was, we got lost in the snow one night and had to sleep in a goat hut, and it was snowing. And it's a bit like, hey, Paco, keep left, keep left. You know, there's, there's a the cliff. Three, three, <laughs> meter bloody drop off the ride or whatever. <laughs> anyway, Paco was once married to Jessica Lang, who was the, the actress in the first King Kong movie. Uh-huh. And and they they sort of had a split after King Kong or whatever, and he got a bit of a divorce settlement. So he, he had a little bit of money, and so we borrowed. Um, oh, I was about two thousand dollars back then to buy this decrepit old Land Rover. Yeah, which is is all we owned back then, and and we just used that thing to go out into the bush and cut bamboo. And you know, I probably chop more bamboo than any white person that's ever lived <laughs> over the years. You know, we, 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 because our whole house was once all the floor was bamboo. You'd chop it, you'd split it, and stick it on the Land Rover and drag it drag in. Drag it back. Drag a few logs from Hill Tribe Fields or whatever, and put this thing together started to resemble a house and it was great it's still so you, standing so you built it like a one structure first and then added on from there we had a tiny little bungalow where which we lived in first yeah. and and then um we started building this main house here yeah after we, we got some locals to help build the first bungalow and then Dave, a friend, and I built another bungalow, sort of following what they did. Yeah. And then we thought, we, well, we can build anything now. We can just need longer poles and longer pieces of wood and longer <laughs> pieces of bamboo so to make it a bit bigger. So it's, it's you got the, the blueprint down? Yeah, you know, back, back then, you, to build a house, you'd use a hatchet, maybe a saw if you had one, and, and a little digging stick to dig a hole Some in the ground to put the poles in. Damn. Uh, that was about it. That Solid was, enough. Was, How long till you can start making, like, a... Like a living, money-wise, or how did you eat? At first? Um, it was. It all happened really fast. We we lived very frugally for the first few months, and as soon as we had the main house finished, yeah, uh, I think we went and 
drag some tourists off the highway. He said, hey, you've got to come and stay at our place. Really? That's yeah, how you did yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and then go and tell some other people. <laughs> and, and so back then, we were charging them about, you know, a dollar a night or something. So yeah. but for a dollar, we, we could buy you know four boards or whatever so every tourist to come we could add a few more boards onto the house and start looking at, like, <laughs> yeah. like in those cartoons where they turn whenever he's hungry and they turn into a chicken leg they, they turn into like pieces of wood yeah 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 that's what i think so so um yeah it all and, and then that word of mouth it really took off within the first few months we had and back then there was there was there was a road but everybody walked in it was mm-hmm. a long walk in from the highway so uh it was nine kilometers, so people had come and stay a while. They couldn't be bothered walking back out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even so, now, it's like yeah. uh, there's nothing around. I mean, there's a little bit around, but not really. It's like I'm good here. Yeah, <laughs> just got yeah, the river there yeah, and the sure. path over there. Yeah, yeah. So and and back then we we thought we'd do it hill tribe style. People would just sleep around the fire on the floor in the main house, and it, it was only after a year or two that people started saying hey you guys got a bungalow you know we're a couple and that sort of stuff and we go bungalow come on you know <laughs> one big happy family yeah. so yeah we started building bungalows and then we've had our ups and downs there's been many dramas over the years as you can imagine like what what do you mean have been, yeah have there ever been like fights or stabbings out here like people getting murdered really yeah really yeah we are. <laughs> what happened what happened oh this was it's a bit of a long story, but back in uh, 87, late 87, there was all these sort of incidents that, that sort of were just, things were going from bad to worse sort of thing. Um, we, had a, we had a guest here who was an Aussie guy, and it turns out he's a paranoid schizophrenic, and he tried to take his life a few times by eating all his, uh, his, his pills yeah. in one go. And so I had another... F- guest staying with us there bruce this young guy and paul kept you know he did it a couple of times and so that was going on there's this guy who was totally paranoid of everything and didn't want to live anymore and then Damn. some of our staff had had an affair and the girl got pregnant and then she went down to chiang mai get an abortion but turns out she's already six months pregnant and the doctor aborted her anyway wow you know and, the, and then the baby were then you know, when when the the time was up, the baby was supposed to be born stillborn, but it didn't. So I've gotten the old Land Rover racing down to Chiang Mai on dirt roads to try and get her to a hospital because she's, and then she starts to give birth and this this to an aborted baby. Yeah, and then this thing Fuck. is born alive. You know, and it's uh, like, oh, it's horrible, man. So there's all this sort of shit happening, and then do you get your money back for an abortion if it doesn't take? <laughs> <laughs> the, the doctor, it was actually a doctor in a hospital who, who did the abortion, just sort of uh, broke the bag and let the waters come out and said, that, you know, the baby's going to die in there, which of course it will probably die and rot, but it was pretty horrible. Oh, anyway, damn. Anyway, so, so all, all this sort of shit's happening. And then, and then, so we're, we're taking Paul, this, this, this guy down to Chiang Mai uh, one time to get some more psychiatric pills because he'd already swallowed, you know, the ones he already had trying to kill himself. And, and we're driving back. And um, and the oh yeah, that's right. Just before that, there was another Aussie guy who'd fallen on his head inside Tumlot. We used to rent out these little carbide lights to our tourists. Yeah. And he was climbing way up inside some place with another group of Australians, and he he slipped and fell down about seven or eight meters down rocks on his head and those, split those his head Those rocks are and sharp and hard. Yeah, they're hard. Anyway, so he's sort of covered in blood and mud inside the cave, and we went up and sort of extracted him out, and I had to drive him down to Chiang Mai too. And, and 
you know, he's sort of, they, they got a really good neurosurgeon in there and stitched up his head and took the blood clots off his brain and you know, took a big flap yeah. off his skull, did the whole thing, did a great job. But we're driving back at the police checkpoint before Pi and the police say, oh, I heard one of your Farang, one of your foreigners has, has died up there at the lodge. I said, no, 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 he just fell on his head, he's okay, you know. And then we didn't sort of think anything about it until we're almost at the lodge here and one of our staffs in this this uh, pickup truck full of cops with you know M16s and stuff racing out. They flag us down and says, "One of one of the guests, the girl has been murdered." Okay, what we oh. we knew nothing about. There's no phones, nothing back then. So you know, we, it was just like a, a total shock. And sure enough, yeah, she'd been down to the exit of a cave with her boyfriend, and they were in the in the evening. There's about three hundred thousand cave adapted swifts flying uh-huh. to the exit of the cave, and she was down there. She, they walked through the cave. She was wet. She was cold. Said she'd go home early, and her boyfriend Peter was the last. Her name was Eva, and um, she just disappeared for the next few days. And all the guests, the staff, who were frantically looking for all over the place. And eventually, and yeah, Peter's they, just calmly eating soup. <laughs> Peter was freaking, out. and he so he. Eventually, they found a body yeah, a bit further down from the cave. She'd been injected what? with heroin, raped, strangled with a jungle vine, and the body just left out in this creek bed. And Whoa. then things got pretty intense because <laughs> there was this, you know, this bloody murderer around, and I assumed it was one of our villagers, and we actually thought we knew who it was the assistant headman who was a super aggressive um very unfriendly didn't really like us or us making you know it's someone come and complain how come you're making money off tourists and i'm making nothing you know because you didn't do, do you fun, didn't you do anything to, what do you mean? it was just an asshole but anyway so we were convinced it was this guy and then he started doing things like you know coming down to the front of our place here with a with a five shot shotgun sort of cocking going <laughs> out the front and sort of intimidating us and stuff he was, i think he was trying to scare us out so he could take over the business i don't know really what the motive was but it, we felt it was directed towards us so a lot of our staff we start arming ourselves with all sorts of illegal weapons and whatever we could get hold of and sort of leave them lying around the house and then eventually we got two two cops with automatic rifles to sleep out the front of our place there just for a bit of protection and it got to the to the stage it went on for months it dragged on the police chief was here every second day one time they trying to find out who it was yeah one time they he came with a with a police chief from males on the provincial police chief to arrest me really yeah because they they'd found this 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 bloody blanket covered in blood down down near the cave and they said it's and they said, is this yours? Is yeah, it was from bungalow number 11, you know, and there's a bit of green vine, um, string there too. Is this yours? Is yeah, it was the old clothesline. And it says, well, we found this by the cave. We come to arrest you for the murder of Eva. And I says, guys, I was... you know, get, get a plot together. She was strangled. There was no blood. And, <laughs> and oh, I had to explain to him, that was Ian. The guy had fallen in the cave when we dragged him out of the cave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when we're throwing him into the back of the land they arrested driver. you for the murder of her you're yeah, like this yeah, is going from bad to worse yeah yeah so you know we, we just chucked the, the blanket into the forest there and forgot about it until you know a month later when the cops have found this new evidence <sighs> you know I was like oh, you know so the investigation was was a little bit screwed up right from the start they you know they sort of invented a plot and then lost it and <laughs> anyway. so but anyway eventually 
Um, oh, there was all sorts of things. The Australian 60 Minutes team come over, right? It's, it was a big story in Australia. Because this girl went missing. And yeah, she, well, to... she was murdered, you know, and there was, there was all sorts of... Yeah, it's a good story. Uh, yeah, good twists and things to it. So they came over for the story. They brought the father and sister. So I'm, I'm standing on the bungalow where Eva spent a, her last night at the lodge here. I'd, I'd actually never met Eva. And I'm translating with the police chief and a father, and the father says, you know, if, if, if you ever catch the bastard that, that killed my daughter, tell me I'm gonna, I want to come back and, you know, kill him myself, you know, as a really distraught father might say. And the police chief says, look, tell him, man to man, don't worry, I'll do it for him. <sighs> okay, so I said, okay, you know, I'm just a translator, I'll, I'll tell him whatever, you know. And so then, months later, they... They, uh, Did they question all the guests at that point? Like they, what, what they, were, they were. They were. They actually picked. There was another lodge down in the valley, and they picked up this this French guy who was a bit suspicious. He was a junkie, actually, and he'd come back. He'd gone to Pi, but he'd come back to a local Lahu village to buy some heroin. And the police found him and caught him and thought, well, he might be the one with the heroin who injected the girl and all the rest. But I went down to for the interrogation as a translator, and you know, I knew within. 30 seconds it wasn't him he had no idea he didn't even know the girl had died or how she died or anything and you know he says you know a junkie a rapist you know they don't sort of do that <laughs> they sort of lose their libido and all the rest oh yeah I don't oh know. yeah anyway so so yeah there was there was a few sort of misleads and eventually there's this one-eyed uh burmese heroin addict who used to work with us actually he was a nice guy spoke english they picked him up and interrogated him and he said that it was the assistant headman that did it he was sort of he, was. He, he, he did supply the heroin for the, for the injection to inject her she probably would have died of an overdose if she wasn't you know strangled, strangled. anyway and he says it was the, uh, the assistant headman and a couple of other guys and so um, the cops arrested two guys and the assistant headman fled into Burma and I think the Shan State Army brought him back Oh, they're uh, connected, right? The army's here well, and there. They, they just talk to each other. Yeah. Says, "Hey, we've got this guy over there. We want. Can you bring him over?" So he did, and um, they, the locals in another village, Melanar, saw him being handcuffed and put into the back of a police car to come to Sapong, about you know twelve kilometres or something, and he never made it. He uh, really he died with gunshot wounds to the back of the head, I think. So I was sort of thinking maybe as the police chief keeping his promise that. Uh, you know, a bit of extrajudicial murder there. To Damn. So, so we never really found out. You know, or there's never really a satisfactory conclusion to the whole thing. But it, hey, it, the, the, yeah, the, the police chief wouldn't have been like, yeah, he admitted it, so I just took care of it. He just didn't say anything about it. Uh, eventually, there was a some lawyers' counsel or whatever took up the case of the the wife of the the dead assistant headman and. And I think he had paid some sort of compensation or paid his way out of it. But eventually he was promoted. He ended up becoming a provincial police chief and he's retired now. And John Min, the, the, uh, the one-eyed Burmese addict, the police chief ended up getting him to work for him on his farm down south of Chiang Mai. And huh? he eventually died of AIDS or whatever. So, you know, and, and we, we never really found, we, we assume the that the police got the right guy. Yeah. There was no trial, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but, so, and that was a one-off. It's nothing like that's ever happened again. Wow. Though before that... We, so what, Peter lost track of her at the entrance of a cave and then 
yeah, assumed she she'd was, come back? Yeah, she said she was going to go back alone to the guest house. She was uh, cold and wet, and she never made it back to the lodge. He came back. He was obviously freaking out, racing around all over the place. It took him a couple of days before they found the body, and he was totally distraught. She was a, a theatre theater director. She was on an Australian government scholarship to go to her parents' country, Poland, to do some theatre work over there. She was on her way. They were a great couple, apparently. Peter Damn. was a real nice guy. Like I said, I never met either, but very sad. So, yeah, I mean, there's, this shit has happened. But, you know, that was a long time ago. We've had you know, junkies OD here as well. Really? Uh, but that, that, that was, that was like, you know, 20, 30 years ago. There was a lot of that shit around. These days, you know, you don't even you see, don't see drugs around here. It's kind of sad. What, um, <laughs> yeah. what, what was the drug scene like then? And how, like, what is the drug culture out here? Mm. Back then, up in the hills, uh, you know, all the hill tribes are growing opium. So there was a you know, half half the men in most villages were opium addicts. Sometimes all the men, <laughs> all, really? all the older men, anyway, were opium addicts. Functioning village. opium. Oh yeah, they they were functional because you know the the problem with those those sorts of opiates is that they're not really that bad for you mm-hmm. in that you know you can maintain a sort of healthy lifestyle and and if you know, particularly for opium if your family you and your family are growing it you've got enough to get you through the year you can you know except for staying up for half the night smoking opium all night to get, you know, you, you get your 60 <laughs> no or 90 pipes or whatever in there. <laughs> you, know, you can you can lead a normal life so you know the head man the spirit doctor all the respected elders are all opium addicts so it was it was very accepted sort of part of old person's life you know people get old they start hurting they get problems this and that they smoke opium they feel good you know and they, they die sense. blissfully sort of thing it wasn't wasn't too bad yeah but and they you know back then they didn't even know their opium was being processed into heroin and and you know they oh, that's how you make heroin yeah it goes from opium 10 to 1 to morphine then they mix some other shit with it and make heroin but Did you ever do heroin Hmm? Did you ever do heroin? No, 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 no. I'm so scared of it, but it's the only one no, I'm intrigued well, by. You know, when when I was in Chiang Mai, when, that seven years when we were doing trekking, we were living with um, heroin dealers in a guest house there. They were Chinese Kuomintang children of ex-Chinese Kuomintang soldiers who used to run the opium heroin trade. Yeah. And they were selling it to white male junkies who'd come over and, you know, and and stick about four ounces up their ass in condoms or whatever and go home and inject half of it, sell the rest, and one, two months later, they're back again for some more. Wow. So that was... We saw that for seven years, and we saw so many bad cases, you know, guys who were, like, their all their veins were were just scarred and oh. fucked up, and, you know, all their chest was, was just burns from cigarettes that dropped out of their mouth after oh, drooping I'll, after... I'll, yeah, I'll you know? jacked out. <laughs> like, <it was> like, <laughs> <laughs> you sort of wake up when the, your chest hairs... Those are weird scars. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was, you know, there was people overdosing, dying in that guest house, too, and uh, there was, you know, there was police corruption, and there was... You know, the cops would come around and raid the place every day. This but, place? No, no, no. They, they oh, never, back never, over there? Never, yeah, back Chiang in Chiang Mai in the guest house, yeah. So anyway, it was... It was a pretty miserable scene, that, but it was big back then in the seventies, late seventies. Um, Chiang Mai was a bit of like the heroin capital of the Golden Triangle, and so the, there was a there was a big 
export center for for small time dealers for it wasn't illegal dealers. was it oh yeah it was yeah 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 oh. that's why the cops come every day because they could take the junkies down to the to the bank and get them to change all their travelers checks and and let them go then release them <laughs> what's your max you can withdraw why don't you go ahead and do that <laughs> that sort of thing so since then you know with with, with the whole the ties had a very very slow crop substitution type program they they knew if they just went out and banned all opium growing the hill tribes would be pretty stuffed Plus, yeah, so, you know there was probably people you know, making money out of it as well i'm sure they were so there was very very slowly they weaned the hill well the hill tribes basically weaned themselves off growing opium. they transferred to something else right some other crop well there's the poppy or something <laughs> poppy oh, yeah. no, no, the, a cabbage maybe. cabbage and carrots you know that's something that starts with c cauliflower you know <laughs> and a few bees beans and things but no no they they particularly some of the tribes like the mong there's you know there's lots of mong in the states who after the vietnam war or the lao the american war sorry in laos and vietnam it's but yeah, the Hmong really industrious tribes like that did really well. They started growing commercial vegetables, and they're, oh. ex- they're they they're the commercial vegetable farmers of Thailand now, and doing and they're making more money than they ever made out of opium. Really, they were sort of ripped off big time with their opium crop. So, and nobody comes in to steal corn. Yeah, not, not so, so, so now the big thing is amphetamines. You know, it's it's it's, it's huge, and and Thai, our district, being a border district, is um, a transit sort of district for amphetamines which are produced by rebel army groups just across the border in Myanmar yeah in Myanmar war army and you know some shan and all the rest and and there's massive amounts of pills and, and these pills are brought in sometimes by little caravans of guys with backpacks there's mm-hmm. no more mules like they did with the opium and heroin back in the days it's now back pills are so mules. small yeah, you yeah, get a so, backpack full of pills. That's so many pills. Yeah, they get they get about fifty thousand or something in a, in one backpack. Yeah, and so anyway, the the Thai army's up there, the border patrol, police, army rangers, and they do things like they they plant claymore mines in the in the paths out here. They've blown up a few groups of pill backpackers. Really? Yeah, one one group, six Lisu guys. They blew the shit out of them, and then recently, Damn. more recently, there was um. Damn, so they're just like walking along, transporting their illegal pills and just go, go off like in a war. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, 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 the cops are just, they're, they're remote control, claim all mine. So they, they just press a button, the thing pops up and sprays out all these pellets. And then, then the, you know, the well, they see them from far away. They see them. Sometimes it's, it's all set up. They know they're coming. Or oh. They maybe have a, you know, an army sort of insider with them. Who will say, "Okay, we've just here." Look, I'll, he tells the guys, "I'm going to get and get some water down." Stop the creek, my shoes. And, you know, and radio, right? yeah. and says, "Okay, they were here. Come and do it." Okay, so, so it's not like they trip up anybody who happens to be walking by. They're no, only no, it's, it's not that sort of mine where you tread on and it blows up. It, uh-huh. it has to be activated. Those 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 other mines are illegal, and Thailand wouldn't do anything like that, of course. <laughs> 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 there's, there's none of them, but there's a hell of a lot of mines along the, the Thai Myanmar border. Huh? Yeah, there's more than most people think. And, and and that they're the illegal ones that all the different rebel groups have put put around their bases and things like that. Because you know, we're only fifteen kilometers away. We've got the headquarters of the Shan State Army up here. Shan Myanmar or Shan Thai? Shan Myanmar, yeah. Yeah, they're still the ones fighting the fight. Yeah, they've been fighting for sixty years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Along with the Currens and the Kachins and every oh, the other little, yeah, too. Yeah, rebel group over there. It's that's pretty sad. It's weird because the, the the Shan 
Shan State Army made peace with the with the National Army, but then the the rebels were like, "Well, now we're fighting both of you." There's, yeah, they, they've they've signed different sort of peace agreements. The last couple of National Days up in the Shan State headquarters up here, there's been Burmese soldiers there too. Yeah, and so there is. It, it, there's no real friction right there at the moment, but in the northern Shan State, there's still fighting going on. Yeah, and with the Kachins as well. It's, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of mistrust. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a that's another story. The whole thing there, but yeah, but the big thing now is amphetamines, and there's you know, Thailand's. They 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 have their uh, drug war. You know, a few years ago. Ten years ago, where they had Thaksin as the prime minister, he had a drug war, and there was at least three thousand citizens sort of gunned down by. Well, they 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 said they were rival drug gangs silencing their each other, but you know it was it was authority. Was the army? Really. Yeah, the army like in the Philippines, what they're doing there? Yeah, as it, it was basically the same thing. <sighs> That's and scary. Our, our, our headman was shot in the back of the head. Uh, really? Our village here and other other headmen. Just because he was there. using? No, he was. They, he was suspiciously wealthy, so you know they, they they didn't have really the evidence to to bust him. So they just they just went and collected these people. They call it collection, you know. They just went and shot him. So there was thousands, thousands. It was very scary at that time because you know the, often people had died in the middle of the night with you know a, a rain of automatic weapon fire or whatever along a road after being called to a meeting somewhere or something like that. But our headman was shot in the Shan Temple in Chiang Mai in front of his family. Ah, oh, damn. Anyway, so that was part of the drug war, but... <laughs> Gone way off of caving, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, caving. <laughs> right. Sometimes hide the drugs in caves. We fortunately haven't found any. <laughs> I don't really want to run into it. Someone oh, yeah, but that would be a good hiding place. It's so dark. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they did it in one of the villages near us, a, a cave that I'd actually been to before. They had a whole lot of heroin in there, but yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to meet that sort of stuff. It's too dangerous. Yeah. Dude, if I found a stash of heroin like that, I'd be like, I get the fuck out of here. It's like getting <laughs> run into a bear cub. It's exactly. like, there's some danger yeah. coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ever taken any sort of psychedelics and gone into one of those caves, turned the lights off for a few hours? Mm, no, actually. Um, I've, you know, when I was young, there was always a, a bit of you know, magic mushrooms and stuff and this and that around. And I've often thought about it. You know, that those things don't really grow around here, but... I heard the elephant farms have them. Ah, uh, possibly, yeah. Talk to the elephant uh, farmers; uh, they were uh, like around Pi, yeah. Yeah, there there are some growing around there. Yeah, because they, you know, usually they grow out of cow shit or whatever. But yeah, um, but now I, I, you know, caving it's a it's a sort of sport or activity where you really want to have your wits about you. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't want to sort of think, hey, uh, you know, hey man, let's turn the lights out and see how far we can get and that sort of shit. <laughs> bash, bash your fucking skull open. Yeah, <laughs> Turns out not far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's, yeah it's, it's best to sort of uh, do that sort of thing straight if you can. Yeah, it is weird, but you got to like, I mean, they're, they're beautiful. So mm-hmm. I've done two, Tom Long Hu and Tom Long, what's the top left one? On that on that board, Nam Lang or yeah, Nam Lang, yeah, and uh, and um, they're gorgeous, but like your face is on the ground almost the whole time. Yeah, and then you got to stop and look around. But like any step, you're, you're well, that, looking that, where you're that's stepping. One of the wonderful things about caving in that it's such a 
different alien environment you know it's, it's another world down there mm-hmm. so it's it's very absorbing in that you're, you're concentrating on on the rocks on the beauty on each step or whatever and you totally forget about the outside world you know it's a it's a it's a great way to escape and and when when and when you and if it's a really grueling caving trip, you know some cavers say, "Hey, the best part about caving is coming out." Yeah, <laughs> it's a really grueling trip, you know, and it's been hard in there, and you've pushed yourself, and you've been you know concentrating for so long. You get out, and you know the you, actually the smell of the rotting leaves in the forest—it's so intense. It's a smell. different smell. You've, you know, deprivation is a great way to appreciate things. So the world's not such a shitty place anymore. Rotting leaves is suddenly a good wow, thing. I'm alive. It's great. Wow, look at this. You know, beautiful nature. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a, you know, it's a bit of everything. There's a bit of deprivation. There's 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 a little bit of fantasy down there. It's you know, and the whole exploration thing. If you if you go somewhere where, even. You know, it doesn't. You don't have to be the first person in a cave. It's just the first time you've been in a cave. You know, wow, what's around the next corner? Mm-hmm. You know, let's keep going. Wow, look at that thing there, and look how that's growing. It's just, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. They have all these. It's almost like rock flowers. Yeah, oh, where it's like, oh, this stuff. one's orange. This one's white. That look, yeah. that one's growing up. That one's yeah, growing yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. There's a huge variety of formations, yeah. and, and that, that's one of the. You know, I really love pretty pretty caves mm-hmm. you know, like adventure caves yeah do some crawling and you know, go do a bit of vertical or whatever it's all it's all good fun but when but if you do that and then you find some some chamber particularly if you know that you're the first person to ever see it because you know caves are a bit they're the last frontier Not every, everywhere on the surface of the earth you know the the surface under under the ocean even they they, they can map it they can measure it they, you can see it yeah but caves are you there's there's no way of of saying if a cave's there or how far it goes. It's it's all unpredictable. You you you, you can guess where you know. Okay, there's a stream going in here, coming out there. There's obviously going to be a cave. But that's how you find it. You you see like there's a river going or a stream going, and I see it there. There's it stops in the middle. There well, must for, be yeah, because you know the what the limestone around here is a couple of hundred me- million years old. So the water table's obviously been going down, down, down because we're part of the Himalayas. So the rocks are also rising with the tectonic plates they're sort of running into each other so oh. you know it's a millimeter or so every year or whatever the himalayas are arising and we're on the the foothills of it so yeah and the water table is is dropping down through this limestone so some of the really old caves are up high up in the hills and they've got nothing to do with water anymore they're just caverns that are dry caverns that you know they might have prehistoric coffins in them or whatever or there could be anything in there but the active stream caves yeah i mean if you get a good one to fifty thousand map or google maps or whatever and you have a good look where where that water's going because in limestone areas you know the water is generally sinking into closed depressions it's not like a valley that just flows down to the ocean it'll sink underground right and if so it's often you can see where it's it's going in it's sometimes harder to see on a map where it's coming out again and often where it's going in it could be blocked because a rock fall or debris or whatever blocking the entrance you know often where it's coming out it's easier to get in not necessarily so it's yeah i mean following the uh yeah just just where the water's going is a really important way of so that's what you it's a, that's what you do where you just like i think there might be a cave here i'm go looking I can see the yeah yeah. Sometimes it's local information, you know. Locals say, "Yeah, we know where there's a you know there's a stream coming out over here," or you know, I was out hunting and I saw this big cave up here or there. And then, a bit of that, and otherwise it's just it's just go around, walk around the limestone. Yeah, it's sure to find something every day. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll probably go out later today. For a bit so describe. Time. Okay, so <laughs> you're walking along in the woods because the the actually both of them you come to it's it's like a hike. 
you know, mm. from any sort of road. Yeah. There's no reason to go there unless you're going towards a cave. Mm. So before there is one, it's you really got to check through an unknown. And then you come across a hole. Describe your feeling as a cavist. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. They, they call them cavers. Cavers. You know, or or in, um, in, in America, they've got this filthy word called spelunking. Spelunking. Which, which doesn't sound right. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think most people prefer to be called cavers. In yeah. cave <laughs> sounds way tougher. Or something like that. <laughs> sounds way tougher. Yeah. So, so, so you it, get it, like, it, awesome, I'm going to get a torch, come right back. Or what do you do? Uh, usually, if I'm walking out there, I already have a torch with me. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, go and have a look if you can get in. If you can't get in, you need ropes, you can come back later. But if you can walk in, just go for it. And then you just sort of, hopefully you're with somebody else. Because yeah. it's, you know, you, though I do often go on short bits into caves, but it depends. Because often when I'm walking, nobody knows where I am. And if something happens in a cave, they'll never find me. Break your leg, <laughs> so can't you gotta get be, back you gotta out. you got to be a bit careful. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's very hard to stop. You know, if it's easy and keeps going, that's really you want hard to, keep to going. stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but if if it gets really tricky, you know, you might think twice. Yeah, need a bit of backup or whatever. This needs an expedition or something like that. But yeah, I mean, basically, it's, it's yeah, it's it's exciting. Yeah, you know, you, you're going somewhere where you've never been before, and possibly nobody's ever been before. There's no road set up. No, even just like, do I wade through the stream here, or do I climb the rocks to get over? Like, it's just like go, guessing. You know, well, it's great. Huh? You know, we're humans. We're really capable and go anywhere we want. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever broken a leg down there or anything? No, we've had uh, we've had people who we've taken have broken legs down there. One guy died too. Anyway, what really? Yeah. How? <laughs> yes, How? A lot. You know, he fell off a waterfall. <sighs> uh, slipped. Underground waterfall. Yeah, thirty meters down. Died instantly. Really? That was that was hard getting his body out. Yeah. Damn. That was really hard. Yeah, another another guy broke his leg. Took us about his his only in a, about one and a half kilometers. Took us about eleven hours to get him out and carrying him. Yeah, makeshift falling a, a hessian bag and a bit, couple of bits of bamboo and dragging him and pushing him and. <sighs> cajoling him and him screaming probably like you're headed again he was he was tough he was a australian vet a lot well, lots of australians a lot of australians of, yeah, yeah shit happens you know they but maybe they think i'm an australian and you know they're in my safe hands over here little do they know that <laughs> they're on their own <laughs> it's <bat> country <laughs> that bat shit is slippery as hell yeah 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 there's you know people don't take due care yeah but um no i've I've you know cut my leg open and had a few little accidents in there, but nothing that sort of stopped me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there any worry about uh, animals that are going to attack you down there? Uh, near, near the entrance, there could be snakes. You know, but that was one reason why the prehistorics never went went in there because there used to be tigers and bears and snakes. You know, and why would you go in there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and spirits. You know, they're scared of cave spirits, but. I've never, I've never seen a. Ti- I've seen actually tiger prints in the entrance of a cave down west of Bangkok once. Really, that was, that was pretty exciting. Fuck. And um, no, inside the caves, when, once you pass the entrance, there's basically nothing in there that you have to worry about. Yeah. Bats never attack you. No, no, no. Bats. You never get bit by a bat. No, no, they don't. They don't bite. Or you know, they. I mean, maybe if they. If you really bunk. trapped them, but they, they're also extremely good at avoiding you. You know, even in small passages, they they will they will miss you. 
it's amazing when you're like walking along and one flies by your face by less yeah, than a foot. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you feel the breeze as, uh-huh. they, as they flash by. Yeah, God, yeah, bats are amazing. That's the accuracy of of their of That's their sonar. echolocation sonar thing is incredible. You know, yeah. they can catch tiny little insects and just take the bodies and drop the wings, sort of thing. Little termites come out of the ground. You get these showers of wings sometimes in the evening as the bats are coming around. They just get the bodies out. Yeah, they just like the bodies. It's, That's where the meat is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. Bat, bats are incredible little critters. Yeah. yeah. You ever see that insect? We saw one. It's about that long. It's got these pinchers in the back and it's got wings. And Ong kept like hitting it like this. So if it's like, well, let's say it's this long, yeah. the pinchers here, and he kept hitting it on the uh, on the wings, and the pinchers would try to come around to like hit him. About that wide, that long. It's a figment of imagination, you know. No, we done. saw it. We saw it. We were going to ask him. We saw it. So okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go and ask him. That sort of <laughs> he was playing with it for a while. Wings. Wow. Sounds like a centipede with wings. <laughs> something like that. The body was like a kind of a larvae type body. And then, you know, there was longer wing and head. Yeah. And we saw a dead one with fungus growing out of it, too, afterwards. Alien. It uh. looked alien as hell, man. <laughs> the stuff down there is so weird looking. <laughs> Um, I mean, it couldn't have wandered in. It was deep in there. Anyway, um, sorry. So the snakes aren't a problem, really? Are they poisonous no, out here? No, no. There's, there's, oh, there's poisonous snakes outside the cave. The ones in the cave are, are races. They're cave adapted. They, they bite, but they're not venomous, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw one the other day, a, a cave racer, seven meters long. Seven meters? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, Damn! Uh, it was a, a cave-adapted racer, one of the longest. Seven in meters the world, long. For sure. What is that from here to that that yeah, plant yeah, over there? Yeah. Oh yeah, at least it's um this from this post to this post it's five meters. So it's another. It's from that post there to this one here. Damn! Yeah. Wow! <laughs> it, it was actually one of the longest snakes of ever. It's longer than any pythons I've seen too. Yeah. And the, the, the racer is a python. Type snake how thick? Anyway. How thick does it get? It wasn't that thick. It was only about my arm sort of size. For that long? Yeah, and it was really just super slender and long. Beautiful snake. Could that yeah. kill you? If no, it wanted no, to? no, they're they're the they no venom. Yeah, they just it couldn't like constrict you or anything. No, no. Okay. No, no. Damn, I'd be frightened as hell of that <laughs> long a snake. I saw it from a slight distance. I didn't get it too close. Oh, actually. all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Being Australian, I'm really wary of snakes. Oh, yeah. You guys have everything that can kill you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever eat bat or anything? Bat? You must no. have tried it. You've never tried bat? No. Being what? around it for that long? No, 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 no. Because the locals don't really eat it unless they're pretty dead. They used to eat the birds down by the cave, too, but there's so little on them. Yeah. You sort of, you got to barbecue it, you know, pluck it, barbecue it, just scrawny little body, then they smash up the bones, they hit everything with a bit of chili, that sort of <laughs> stuff. So I've, I've eaten squirrel, little tiny little squirrels around here like that. Yeah, I've seen those squirrels. But, yeah, yeah, they, they have, it's all right. All you can taste is chili and salt, really. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how the crickets are. Something a bit bloody. Tastes like deep fry. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. <laughs> um, um, let's see what I wanted to say. Oh, you ever had... Uh, Torch burnout, leave it down there in the dark. Um, no, I've come close in that I've been with just with one other friend. We got really fading torches, a couple of candles left, and we're exploring a new cave and we're doing something silly, just sort of uh pushing it and pushing it, hopefully, hoping there's another end. Oh, 
Hope um, you can come out instead yeah, of like half turn around. Because it was getting to the point where we weren't sure if we had enough light to go back the way we'd come, yeah. which is a really stupid situation to put yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It was such a pretty nice cave. We couldn't stop. We said, oh, fuck, let's just go around. And just the next corner. Look at this. Hey, it's still easy. It's still going. And then, like a cave junkie. Uh, we're sort of we're halfway through it, and we sort of see this light. We go, wow, man. Yeah, hey, we found another way. We climb over all these rocks, get there, and it's this sky hole in the roof. There's no way you can get out. Oh. There's light coming in. <laughs> we were freezing so there was a bit of wood falling down we lit a fire and then we thought now what are we going to do it's just, oh, let's just push it you know for just a little bit further and we got to this point where it was really late evening and see the last little bit of light through this hole in the ceiling but it's too small to get out and so we had to sort of use rocks to open the hole a bit bigger and we were worried the whole ceiling was going to collapse in on us Damn, and yeah. I sort of lifted my friend up and he managed to get out then he pulled pulled me out and by then it was dark outside and we didn't know where we were anyway so but we got back about four in the morning or something after bush bashing and guessing a path and it was great great that experience. must feel good good chaos getting out oh, and then God. finding your way home and then you're like yeah, let's just get yeah, a beer yeah, and then yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was that was great and it's a really nice cave i've been back there a couple more which one is that it's called doy on it's way up on it's up very high it's at about 1200 meters so quite cold up there and um, beautiful cave, and it's it's a through one, yeah. I took a few guests up there a year or two after that, and we sort of got lost again. And uh, <laughs> I got, you know, we had, had girls freaking out and crying and this and that. It's <laughs> a gonna, challenging one if it keeps beating you. I'm going to have to take a break. Yeah, sure. The bathroom. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, so, pause. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> Boom, we're back. How was your pee? <laughs> good. Feels good when you get a long one and you're like, really, we gotta let it go. It was more than a pee. Oh. <laughs> My friends, when I go back home, I was like, they asked me like uh, about bathrooms and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, you know, you can avoid the squats if, if you don't have diarrhea. They're like, do you ever have diarrhea? I'm like, I only have diarrhea. <laughs> really? it's just a, it's a question of scale. How, how okay, much. yeah, yeah. Um, oh. uh, do you worry about carbon monoxide poisoning at all in these things? No, it's not carbon monoxide. It's um, you do get bad air in some caves, and that's yeah. basically a buildup of carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide, and it replaces the oxygen. So you get very low oxygen in some caves, and I've had a couple of near-death experiences in really? caves around here because because caves can breathe. Huh? There's, it's to do with the barometric pressure outside the cave. So sometimes when the you know the, the the temperature differences basically inside and outside the cave you'll get you get a wind blowing in one way or the other yeah. and so you can go into some caves where hey the wind's blowing in the air's really good and then when you're in there it can change and then it starts sucking out the bad air and the bad air is is caused usually by organic matter being washed down into the cave and rots in there and produces carbon dioxide and if the cave has got like a sump it has a place where the water blocks the passage or whatever and there's no escape for the air. It sort of sits and builds up in like there. Like dead bats? No, 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 no. It's 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 trees and leaves oh, and, oh, bits okay. and stuff yeah. like that usually. But also just in the whole process of um, cave formations, carbon dioxide oh. is given off as well. As as the carbon dioxide comes out of solution, the calcium carbonate you know builds up slowly, slowly, and falls a formation. So there is a bit of natural carbon dioxide being produced inside the cave anyway. But it can get to really high levels, like in that 
the cave we took the BBC Planet Earth to to film the waterfall climbing fish. It has five. Oh, you took them there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was it, you giving... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it has 5% CO2. Huh? Pretty steady level. There's not much airflow in and out of the cave. So it's... But 5%, you know, um, that's 100 times more carbon dioxide than there is that we're breathing right now. So can you breathe that? Uh, yeah, that's, sort of getting, that's getting to the level where the oxygen was down to about 16, 17% real high altitude stuff. It's sort of like, <gasps> yeah. uh, if, if, if you're sitting totally still, you can almost breathe normally, not quite. But if you're doing something, yeah, it, if you get above, <sighs> CO2 goes above about 6%, you're dying pretty fast. So we, we, we had these like meters that are measuring monitoring this this stuff you know the carbon dioxide and the oxygen and they're sort of screaming the alarms are going <laughs> we eventually had to bury the things annoying. so you know and we spent six days in this cave though we came out every day but they're like six 12 hour days in this this really bad air and that was that was just borderline you you could you could just survive so there's good news for the human race you know when the carbon dioxide goes up a hundred times we, we still might be able Oh, I got someone on the phone wants to talk with me. It's probably something. Nothing. Be back. In the- uh, okay, where were we? The carbon dioxide. So, would, would you? Was there any danger of just like passing out and then dying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could. You could. You could pass out. You, you can get a pretty instant headache, and you can really struggle to breathe. It's yeah. It's life threatening. I was in another cave near here, also with blind fish in it, and same thing on the way in the air was okay we're in about 600 meters yeah let's start getting really bad we were gasping for breath heaving and just standing still really and we had to get 600 meters out of this cave and i was confusing and been there i'd only just been in that one time and there was different passages and we we're crawling and i was with five other people from the lodge here I told them I was going to this cave. I heard it had bad CO2. Some French explorers had been in there, had blind fish. I want to take photographs. I said, we want to go, we want to go. And I said, okay, at your own risk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there could be anything in there. And when we're, you know, we're crawling out of the thing, just heaving for breath, all thinking we're going to die. And I got out with, with two guys. And then those three of them still left in there. And we're, we're, we're up amongst the bamboo, way away from the entrance, which still had really bad air outside the cave at the entrance, sucking in oxygen. And then we thought, we'll wait 10 minutes. Then we've got to do something. So I, I, I sort of hyperventilated, went back down again. And fortunately, the other three people were just coming out. They were, they were almost dead. Yeah, it was, it was real touch and go. Damn. Yeah, so you can, you can die in, ver- in vertical caves. It's really tricky because you can rappel down into this bad air and you know before you have a chance to change over or get out of it you're you're dying but so we we use a few things use your nose because it tastes sort of musty you can really smell it so then once you smell it you immediately like let's get careful then then, then you get out your cigarette lighter Uh and if it's about two to three percent the the flame actually separates from the lighter so the there's a little gap between the lighter and the flame which is up higher for some reason and and then after that your lighter won't light you can't light a candle it'll go out and that's, no that, that, that's a good time to leave <laughs> you're still breathing you can still breathe at that level but you know when and now anytime with bad air i generally tend to get out of there sooner rather than later who taught you this shit who taught you how to do that like uh, would you with the lighters i don't know 
I had lots of cavers over here over the years and different passing on information and this and that. Yeah. You know? it's, like, oh, it's sort of all pretty logical stuff, you know. It's like lo- uh, flames need oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell you, like, mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, they, they probably need a little bit more oxygen than we do. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How'd you get into caving in the first place? Were you always into it, or just like as you explore, you're like, no, like what turned I, you on to it? I think I, I just like. I, I try to figure that out. I, I think I really like discovery, you know. Mm-hmm. That's whether it's, you know, discovering sort of untouched tribes or nice places to walk or caves, you know, and caves the ultimate in discovery. So, you know, you, you, you can get into places where you you know you're the first person there. That's amazing. There's, there's things like, uh, you know, fossilized mud that's been there for the last, you know, 200,000 years. And you, you put a footprint in and it's going to be there for another 200,000 years. And there's, <sighs> and there's no footprints on it. <laughs> right. I don't know. Hey, man, you're the first. And you go back 30 years later, your original footprints are still there. Like, I remember those shoes. Those old new balances. Yeah. I remember those. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, um, yeah that, that's pretty exciting. But you know what? I think the first big cave was actually Tumlot when we were out trekking. And then, and then in Tumlot, they had the you know the prehistoric coffins in there too, which n- nobody people thought they were left by spirits around here. And I thought, well, this is you know obviously some people who are here, God knows when, a long time ago. And then I started asking the locals, are there any more of these caves around like this? And they said, yeah. oh yeah, there's one up near the border at such and such a village, and there's another one. And I sort of got a bit obsessed with finding these different coffin caves, hoping I'd find a completely untouched one that had never been looted in prehistory or whatever. Yeah. And I think I found almost 90 of them now. 90 now. caves that you're the one with, with putting them on a map. With coffins in them. Hundreds of caves. No real record of them until you get there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Damn, that's exciting as fuck. Yeah, yeah, but those they're they're, they're prehistoric ca- caves, you know, caves with prehistoric stuff in it. And there's also caves with rock art too you know finding stuff like rock art and what is um, prehistoric art you know oh really yeah. oh rock art yeah, yeah sorry australian accent yeah, yeah. <laughs> um wow it's like caveman stuff yeah lived there exactly. and then, then it yeah, got yeah. Yeah, 10, abandoned thousand years ago the coffins are about 1500 2000 years old they're teak which is why they've lasted but uh and left alone for that long basically some of them yeah pretty well untouched others have been looted maybe 700 years ago by a other group of people who knows but there, you know, there wasn't much in them anyway looted for what yeah who knows uh, glass beads maybe a few bits of metal objects that they could use yeah yeah wow that is exciting yeah what'd your family say when you like hey guys turns out i'm not coming home or going to europe uh, they, i'm gonna live in northern thailand for a while sort of, well for the first 10 years i didn't have any money to go home so i just stayed lived over here and but they they my mother my father came over my mother came over before she passed away about 30 times my father who's now almost 97 he just left yesterday to go back to australia yeah. <laughs> he, he's been visiting every year yeah oh uh, yeah, they, and my brother, you know, the family came over here, and they're, they're all happy. And, and your me. friends, what, what, what they like? What are That's you doing, John? A few friends, a few friends. It's sort of because you know, for the first ten years I didn't go back, and I sort of lost contact with with a lot of them. I've had a few old friends who've come over and you know made so many new friends anyway. But, right? Um, yeah. No, they. I, I mean, I don't think. There was nothing really outrageous I was doing over here. It was it was just sort of what happened, and and they were, my family's always been very tolerant and accepting. You know, they, 
that's so not outrageous, but also sort of outrageous when you look at like people's upbringing. Even me going on vacation to this place, people are yeah. like, "Really, Southeast Asia?" I mean, but like living here in yeah. in the eighties and seventies, yeah, they must have been like, "How are you going to survive? What What do you mean you're going there?" It's pretty tenacious, right? Yeah. <laughs> Find a way. You know, was, whether it was sort of trying to write articles for magazines or doing our hill tribe trekking. We, yeah, we, after that hill tribe trekking uh, with my, my girlfriend, Thai girlfriend and I, we did that for seven years. And I think we'd saved less than $1,000 after seven years, which is what we had to invest in the guest house here. All that money. <laughs> that was, we, we, we had a good time, but yeah. no, it wasn't a money-making thing. Save up so, $97 a year. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Was, uh, but, you know, it's, that wasn't really the point, you know. I wasn't really here to, to, make, to make my fortune or anything. I was right. just enjoying life. And most of the time, I really just couldn't think of anything better to do. And... I like that. And when, when, once you start something like this, it's, it's your little baby. You know? it's, it's very hard to leave. It's like anyone who starts a business and becomes successful and this and that, they often find they're, they're sort of stuck with it. So it's, it's a little bit hard oh. to just give it up or hand it over to somebody else. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like your own little baby. You, know? you feel married to yeah. it like that? Yeah, you sort of got to bring it up and you know, look after it. And now it's sort of on its own legs. We're actually about to retire. so Really? Yeah, pass it on to some of our staff. You know, we'll still be here. but You're going to give it to them, like the people who have been here long enough? You're just going to yeah, invest yeah, them yeah. to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do a share thing with them and they'll, they'll, they'll do well, I'm sure, and we'll be happy and I can actually then finish my journey over around, around the world. Maybe, <laughs> Finally know, make it to Europe. I can continue the travels. <laughs> <laughs> just a 35-year break. Yeah, there's a little bit of hiatus there. I just had to, <laughs> had to check this place out a little yeah. You're like, mm, deeply done now. I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what you want to do. You want to do more traveling. That's no, cool. no, but I'm, I'm always going to live in this area. I couldn't really live anywhere else. Still I, love it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I go out every every chance I get, go out for a walk around, have a look for a cave, walk along some cliff line, you know, because I'm, I'm into everything. You know, we've had so many experts over the years. We've had, you know, the blind fish guys, people... Um, looking for microscopic snails in caves and you know we've had bat people here and other nature people and then all the archaeologists and geologists and this and that you know just pick up so much from all these people that every little aspect things things you know years ago you just walk past stuff you wouldn't notice it but once uh-huh. you, you know just things like uh prehistoric habitation sites up on the ridges with um stone tools you know, I, I spent Love years that. trekking, and I, I never saw these things. But once, once you know what to look for, wow, they're everywhere. You know, and burial grounds, and we we got burial grounds from the Neolithic up on top of the limestone mountains around here. You know, and I, and once 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 you know where they are and what they look like, it's easy to go out and find them. Whether it's you know rock hard, a cave habitation site, you know, any any sort of prehistoric stuff, it's pretty easy to. I can go out and find a new spot every day if I really wanted to. It's yeah. just so much out there. This was a good place to live. People have always lived around here. That's pretty lucky to find something that, I mean, three decades in, you're still getting off on. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. 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 There's always something new and exciting out there. Caves, you know, it's the unknown. It's a great unknown. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. I've never done it before. I mean, I went to Luray Caverns in Virginia, yeah. you know, on field trips. Yeah, yeah, but, sure. But, uh, Nothing like these. Yeah, wild caves. They're they're different. Yeah, you know, wild caves. Yeah. yeah, that's what the yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's wilderness. So you wrote a book about it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wild, wild times. <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wild times. Yeah, yeah. That's with 
actually I haven't really got back together with that because I was I was going to sort of you know make it a ebook and that sort of stuff but so it's only for sale here at the lodge the only place in the world the hard copy oh really but, but it is through our website you can get a PDF digital version and you can't get you can't you won't mail it to people if people pay for you to mail it to them yeah I probably could yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that the mail the postage costs about the same as the as the book so so double the price I guess yeah yeah it's still worth it how would they get it what's the website cave lodge what is it yeah cavelodge.com yeah yeah and you can find it there yeah. it's amazing too because you come from like the rest of like Thailand where I, I was like yeah I want to come and then I wrote uh, I guess you were gone taking care of your dad but like uh, I was like I want to come they're like yeah just show up you're cool no. <laughs> like no reservation like no, no no I get it you'll be there on Monday sure we'll save a bit for you yeah, <laughs> it's so relaxed yeah yeah oh, well we, we've sort of avoided all the you know the booking sites and all that sort of stuff because oh, I don't know for several reasons often because when people try and book with us it's not just they want to book a room they've, they've got like five questions as well oh. <laughs> they're annoying then yeah they, they, they want to ask about you know can we do this or that you know or is there any malaria in your area or what's the weather like at this time you know, but some people send us their life history and they just want to book a room you know <laughs> you're like fuck off figure it out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's, it gets a little bit too much sometimes but that's alright you know we we're happy to have people come here and enjoy it. That's what it's all about. You know? Yeah, man. It's great. You set up a really rad, really rad place Thank there. You. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. Pleasure. All right. Give me the biggest lecture I ever had. I want a brave man. I want a caveman. Johnny, show me that you care, really care for me. That is the episode, everybody. Did you enjoy it? Okay, I didn't do many of these podcasts uh, from when I was gone. Um, and here's the deal. If you're looking for me to give you a rundown of my whole trip, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to internalize it a little bit. Um, I'm going to let it out little by little. I'm, I'm not... I didn't go on that to, to put out product. I went on that for me. And I had a great time. I had a great time. So I'll talk about it. It'll come out because it's kind of part of who I am now. Um, don't forget to listen to Punch Drunk Sports every Tuesday. Um, it's live, 11 p.m., 11 a.m. To, to 1 p.m. Pacific, uh, 2 to 4 Eastern. Uh, it's also on iTunes and everywhere else. Stitcher. I forgot all the places you go to get stuff. Um, thank you ZipRecruiter.com for sponsoring this don't forget ZipRecruiter.com slash skeptic um, right now my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter.com for free by going to oh so you go on there for free so what do you even pay what a good deal if you work in HR may as well do it um, skeptic um, so anyway I'm not going to release that much information. People ask me like, oh, did my interview with Henry Rollins make me do this? And uh, the answer is no. I was already trying to do it. But the problem was I couldn't, I had too much responsibilities. If you listen to the end of that podcast with Henry Rollins, I have not. So I'm going off memory, which is way stronger now, my memory. Um, I told him I want to see a show and I was upset that I couldn't see it in, in Edinburgh. I think it overlapped with mine. 
and I didn't take a day off because I'm a warrior and not a fucking half a comic. I'm just joking. Almost everybody takes a day off. You probably should. By the way, this year, Sean Patton's going to be in Edinburgh. I'm not. I'm really, really, really sorry that I'm not. I'm really sad about it. But Sean Patton will be, and he's one of the best comics. He's coming back to do this. not happening. Um, so definitely put that on your, on your uh, itinerary to see Sean Patton. Um, so uh, what was I going to say? So a little, a little by little. Oh, I know. So if you listen to the end of that Henry Rollins podcast, he goes, oh, well, if you missed my show here, you can see it at Largo in Los Angeles in December. And I said something along the lines of, oh, yeah, I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be doing this already then. It was already in my head. I knew I was going to record my special, and I knew as soon as my special was over, I was going to take the fuck off. I did finish the special. I finished editing it. I still got to do a, another sound mix and another color color pass at it. It wasn't quite up to my standards. Um, and then, you know, you'll see it soon. I'll get into that way later. Um, but it was a great trip. So if you ever do make it to Sapong, Sapong, and you make it to the Cave Lodge, God, it was fucking great. What a great place. I've forgotten about it. I haven't really thought about it in a, in a couple months. I was there in, I guess, early February. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it must have been around then. Early February. What is it now? March, April, May. Three months ago. Oh, I miss it. If you make it there, some advice. Um, there is a store in the main part of town which has these mesh-type shoes. They're kind of like um, rubber with holes in them. Like, uh, like uh, not Uggs. Crocs, kind of like Crocs. And you have to know your European size. I am a 46, but I can fit into a 45. And I bought the 45s because after the first day, I soaked my Merrells so bad that they were like, I just could they wouldn't be unsoaked by the next day. Let them by the fire, obviously. They're, I mean, they're soaked through. So um, I had to give them to the people to clean. They have cleaners there, by the way. They'll do your laundry for you at the Cave Lodge. They have good food. They have good uh, some Western food, if you're into that. Not me. I didn't eat Western food. Fucking no. One time, one time I had a burger. Um, not there though. I mean, one time my whole trip I had a burger. Um, but they have good food, good, good Shan food from the Shan state. Uh, um, good Thai food, good Northern Thai food. They probably had cow soy chicken, good rice uh, soup for the morning. And um, just, I mean, it was just great. So get those shoes because then, the, the, then it just soaks your socks and you can dry those out real easy. Uh, and... There's in the center of town, there's this lady. She's got red hair. She might not have it anymore because uh, it's dyed. And she has some chicken on the grill. I don't know what she puts on them, but you can get a quarter chicken for about, I think just under a dollar. I think it was like 10,000 10, baht. Is it 10,000 or 10 baht? It's in thousands, right? Hold on. I must have, maybe I brought one home. Yeah, here's one. What is this? 20 baht. Yeah, so it was like, it was like fifteen baht or ten or fifteen baht. I think thirteen baht is is a dollar, and um, oh fuck, I might be wrong about that, but whatever it was, it was about eighty cents for a quarter chicken, and it's not the fucking American, you know, pump full of shit chicken. It it's it's small. It's a small quarter chicken. It's so fucking good though, and you get a bag of sticky rice with it if you want. I suggest go two quarter chickens. One bag of sticky rice. You're in a full meal. You're talking about two fifty. So definitely get that. So anyway, uh, so now I'll say this. If you already heard it, I guess you can turn this episode off already. But um, 
there's a man, a story I heard. I think it was from the caretaker that was there when John wasn't there, who was also so fucking cool. Um, this other Australian guy. Oh, he was so cool. What was his name? I got to look at my journal. What was his name? Okay, okay. I just looked at my... I just looked at my journal. I found everything. The guy's name is Tom. If he's there, if that guy Tom is there, fucking say hi to him for me. Great, great dude. Uh, get him drunk. He's way more fun when he gets drunk. He's fun when he's not drunk, but he's way more fun when he gets drunk. Get some of those Changs, you guys. Those those 20 ounces. Um, the hikes I did was a Tom Nong Hu cave. And then I think, where did I put it? Tom Nong Long cave, I think, was the second one I did. I should have gone on another one. The quarter chicken... Two for 40 baht each. 40 baht each. That's a dollar sixteen. A dollar sixteen each. And those fucking waiting shoes, those shoes for waiting in, hundred baht. Fucking two fifty. No. Something like that. Forty, eighty, two, twenty-five. Let's say three dollars. Uh anyway, so Tom told me this story of a guy. Oh my god, look at this. So I saved stuff in this journal and and I'd put uh I put occasionally I put flowers or leaves or something I found, um, and I put it in the pages. I found this little flower I found in the cave. This weird cave flower. It grows where there's no light. The only protein is from fucking Jesus. What the fuck is that? Bat dong. What the fuck was that? The fuck did my computer just do? Did I just get hacked? I probably did. I don't know what the fuck that was. I gotta throw this computer away. I found this, yeah, this little dried up now cave flower. Hmm. Um, anyway, so Tom told me this story of this guy who was down in one of those caves one night, one day, and um, and uh, is by himself, which you shouldn't, no one our level should do. And uh, and his light went. Oh, I know what he was working in a mine. That's what it was. This is just to express how uh, how dark caves are. He was working in a mine. And um, I was there January 31st, by the way. I just looked at the date, too. So it wasn't even February. And his, uh, his last one up, and his, his, his light went out, and he couldn't find his way out. And so he had to wait there. I mean, you can't, there's no feeling the cave along. You, the, the, you'll, you'll crack your skull a thousand times over. Um, so he had to wait for the weekend to be over. He had to wait there all weekend. Um, it was Friday afternoon. He had to wait till Monday morning when more people came down in the mine. And on Monday morning, they found him um, standing there. And um, they said, hey, let's sit down. He goes, what do you mean? I'm, I'm lying down. And they go, no, you're not lying down. You're standing up. And he had been down there for so long with no sense of sight. What is that? What is open? That he couldn't tell what was up and what was down. He, I mean, he was going crazy. Whew, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Anyway, you guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, don't forget, May 27th at the Bell House. Get tickets now, 20 bucks. I have not made the lineup yet. It will be a good lineup because guess what? I always make great lineups for this not happening. You're going to have a great time. Just get the tickets. Maybe I'll just make it a surprise. If enough people just get tickets ahead of time right now, I'll just be like, no, I'm not allowed to in the lineup. And I'll just bring them out. And then you'll be hit by one great comic after another um some you know some you'll find out 
Um, yeah, that's it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm back. I'll be back next week. Um, with an American style podcast. Um, episode 200 or 300 is coming soon with Danish and O'Neill. I might let them interview me about my trip. I, I might do that and get it all out then. We'll see. Or I might just let it out little by little. And I don't know. I had a great time. I was doing it for myself and I, I really enjoyed it. If you're all thinking about it, I mean, what's, what? All right. Why not though? You know, I mean, why wouldn't you? It's like when I got my, uh, my, my flip phone and, um, and I had all these people, friends of mine in comedy too. They go, I, I wish I could do that. Man, I wish I could go back to a flip phone. And it's like, what do you think? Why do you think my life is more easily able to handle a flip phone than yours? I'm not, I, I had to promote a television show. I need to be on Twitter and all that stuff just as much as anybody. What, what are you talking about? You can. You can do it. You can't imagine it. But you can do it. Same as traveling. Um, I will suggest one book for you if you're thinking at all about it. Got some long-term travel and then I'll leave. Vagabonding. It's a book by John Potts. Easy, quick read. Um, pick it up. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for me. For John Spies, don't forget to check out the website where you can see tons of pictures from the Cave Lodge. Uh, if I don't have it up before I leave for spots tonight, I will have it up tonight. Um, when I get home, or tomorrow morning, that'll be Thursday morning. Uh, and every week, go there, find out everything there. Ari Shapiro Skeptic Tank, Tank, episode 289. Caveman with John Spies. Over and out. Oh